You're listening to the 1208-Bit Nerd Church Podcast. Join us on Discord. Okay, so today I wanted to kind of look at an uh, uh, interesting way in which the Holy Spirit works, sometimes with influencing um, our writing and uh, where we go in cases like that. Now, we already have a case where writing was influenced by the Holy Spirit, and this is on a level in which no other writing has been inspired. This, of course, is our our Bibles, right? Uh, we've got these 66 books, though, different um, denominations or especially church movements between orthodoxy, Catholicism, evangelicals will kind of disagree as to what's canon and what's not. Um, we all generally have our Bibles to a very similar degree in which we all come together and say, yeah, this this stuff um, is especially inspired by the Holy Spirit in a way that no other writing is inspired, and therefore we hold it as authoritarian and uh, um, influenced by God in such a way that it holds um, authority over us in a way that no other writings do. Um, now, when we say that, we don't mean that some angel dictated the Bible to uh, the Bible writers and they were just caught up in a trance while they were writing it down. Uh, we don't mean that it fell out of the sky and was given to somebody um, or that they fell into a trance and their eyes rolled in the back of their head and they just automatic writing wrote down what was happening. In fact, um, that's kind of the theories of other religions. Automatic writing is a form of something that happens in the occult. I have had when I've been doing deliverance ministry uh, people have gone into weird automatic writing trances and either demons have texted me stuff or they have woke up to find all these papers of things they wrote overnight. That's not the way that we think of the Bible because God does not work in that same kind of way. I mean, it's, it's possible that he can influence writing to that kind of degree. I think there is some Catholic saints that have had something like that. Uh, but that's not the way that the Bible was written. And you know that because when you're looking at the Bible, you see people in their own places and times writing about their own kind of stuff with their own personalities. And uh, you can tell parts where they're writing that are cultural versus parts that are like deeply scriptural. I mean, there's entire short letters that are more or less like, hey, church, how you doing? Tell these people hello. All right, see you later. You know, like those are pretty... Um, um, some, some letters like that carry very small, like <laughs> sway over the ways in which we live, but they still carry that authority of, of being scripture. So, uh, when we say that scripture is authoritative, we mean it's influenced by God in, in such a way that no other writing has been, but writing, um, in other ways, I think, can be influenced by the Holy Spirit. We're going to take a look at our two favorites here at Nerd Church, or at least two of my favorites as a nerd, um, J.R.R. Tolkien and C.S. Lewis. Uh, because as I've been reading through some books on them uh, for like biographical information, 
I've been interested, especially in these two, to notice some interesting, like supernatural things that seem to go on that impacted their writing. And when I say supernatural, I don't mean like crazy, like out of body experiences, just things that, that, um, like in the Bible are considered supernatural experiences that actually impacted their writing. So C.S. Lewis, I'll start with him. Um, when he was working on when he was working on Narnia, he said all of my seven Narnian books and my three science fiction books began with seeing pictures in my head. At first, they were not a story, just pictures. The lion all began with a picture of a fawn carrying an umbrella and parcels in a snowy wood. This picture had been in my mind since I was about 16. Then one day, when I was about 40, I said to myself, let's try to make a story about it. At first, I had very little idea how the story would go, but then suddenly Aslan came bounding into it. I think I had been having a good many dreams of lions about that time. Apart from that, I don't know where the lion came from or why he came. But once he was there, he pulled the whole story together, and soon he pulled the six other Narnian stories in after him. So that right there is like just a small example from Lewis. He has two things. He has a um, a picture in his mind of a fawn carrying an umbrella. Uh, that people often think of visions as these crazy extravagant things, but a very base level and and spiritual giftings of visions is just a picture in the mind. So Lewis is writing into something that's been visionarily on him since he was a kid. Um, and whether that's influenced by the Holy Spirit or not, it's hard to tell because that was, I think, well before he was a Christian, unless this was in the season where he was a Christian when he was a kid and ran away from it. Um, but whatever the case may be, he has these dreams about a lion who ends up being this Aslan figure. And as he starts writing that into it as well, these other visions and things that have gone through his mind before all start coming into kind of alignment and subjection to that lion. I don't know about you, but man, I cry way more when I'm reading Narnia than I do when I'm reading the Bible, <laughs> which maybe is sad, but uh, Narnia is written more for audience like us, whereas the Bible has got a lot more of kind of an ancient writing to it. It doesn't always hit us on an emotive level all the time. Um, and like when I see the lion show up in um, um, like the movies or when I see Aslan show up in the book, like as soon as he speaks, like I just start crying. I went to a Narnia ballet uh, a week ago, two weeks ago, and I kid you not, they brought the the wardrobe out on stage and I just stared at it and started crying because in my mind I was just like, Jesus is back there, <laughs> which I know sounds super childish, but like that's what happens to me when I read Aslan and his words throughout the book. It's just like it feels like I'm having an encounter with Jesus, and it's emotional, and it's like one-on-one. -on -one, it's emotive. The words that he says over the kids that he sees, like he says them over me. I can feel it. It just jabs at my heart. Uh, 
And it's a, it's for me, it's like a otherworldly, supernatural, intimate experience with God. Even though I'm just reading about a lion, and I'm not saying that Lewis gets all his theology right, or that the lion is always the perfect image of who God is in uh, Lewis's writings, but for me, there's just there's like this almost supernatural encounter with God that I find within what to me feels very inspired in Lewis's writings, even if every last word is not, and even if it's not held to the same inspiration as um, like the Bible. Uh, I encounter the Holy Spirit in those moments. Uh, and I, I want to hear more about ways in which maybe you guys have had moments like that um, here in a bit, so keep those stories in your mind in case you do have them. But I'll keep going for a minute. Um, Loosewhere, uh, elsewhere, Lewis uh, goes on to explain some other ways in which he um, seems to be encountering the Holy Spirit in his writing. He says, in a certain sense, I have never exactly made a story. With me, the process is much more like bird watching than like either talking or building. I see pictures. Some of these pictures have a common flavor, almost a common smell, which groups them together. Keep quiet and watch, and they will begin joining themselves up. If you were very lucky, I have never been as lucky as all that, a whole set might join themselves so consistently that there you had a complete story without doing anything yourself. But more often, in my experience always, there are gaps. Then at last, you have to do some deliberate inventing have to contrive reasons why these characters should be in these various places doing these various things. I have no idea whether this is the usual way of writing stories, still less whether it is the best. It is the only way I know. Images will always come first. So there's another example of Lewis having, again, what we can call biblically, in my opinion, visions, and then trying to piece it together to make sense of it um, with God. And this, I think this paragraph I just read to you is a really good example of what it means to co-labor with God. And I have seen this in deliverance now many times when I'm helping people through this. Um, God likes to work with me and let me have a part in the deliverance process rather than him just walk in and carry the whole thing by himself. He sometimes leaves it up to me to make decisions, or he um, asks the person to talk to me for my opinion about something, um, or to give them counsel on something. God wants to co-labor with me rather than do everything himself and micromanage, and that's just an example of a very good God who has given us power and spiritual gifts and likes to work alongside of us to bring things together. That's what Lewis describes with putting together his books, is things come to his mind, and it is enough to know, like, I have to write into this, but it's not enough to be able to fill in, like, the whole story. Lewis has to add pieces into it as well and co-labor with God to bring some um, fluidity to it. And maybe on a more common ground, we could say this is the case when it comes to like preaching. I don't know if any of you are preachers or have done a lot with public speaking. Um, there's a great quote from the Martin Luther King Jr. movie, Selma, if you've seen it, where a pastor is like talking about what it's like when you're preaching 
and the Holy Spirit leads. It's like you're just soaring on the wings of the Holy Spirit, and he just takes it. And it's not as though, like, you've lost control. It's just there's a fluidity in which you're moving that you don't otherwise fully know how to explain. And that's a form of preaching I think a lot of pastors have encountered at some point, unless they're very committed to straight up reading their manuscript, um, that when they let go a little bit and give the space for God to move, suddenly they're just kind of soaring, and they don't know how to explain all the words that are coming together. Um, That's like a that's an example where I might get on stage sometimes and I know the theme I'm going to talk about. I know the subject I'm getting into. There's a general collection of passages in my head where I'm like, yeah, I'm going to dive into that and I can start pasting it together. But when I step back and let the Holy Spirit lead, those pieces sometimes come together um, in new ways or I ditch some and I bring in some new ones or a theme that I didn't expect to get hung up on, I get hung up on, or a story I didn't expect to share just comes to my head. And it's like, it's the co-laboring with God. The preaching becomes kind of like the writing that Lewis talked about. It's coming together, and it's being kind of led, and I'm speaking into it, and it feels like God's speaking into it all at the same time. Um, Tolkien actually talked about how sermons uh, can require a special grace um, and can carry a little bit of that kind of inspiration in those moments. And that's how he found writing worked for him, too. Um, he also talks about, like, C.S. Lewis's... The same way that C.S. Lewis had these images that come to mind, Lewis had the same thing. Uh, sometimes in a, a really crazy um, way where it's like the images would kind of force him to go back and change things and and have to um, really kind of work to get it. So he says, let me see. I'm going to read from Tolkien Dogmatics here. It's a great new book if anyone likes Tolkien and wants to read more about the theology behind it. Um, there's a character in Tolkien's book that seems to be exp- to expressing kind of how um, Tolkien wrote. Uh, I'll just quote from the book. He says his visualizing seems independent of his conscious mind or will and appears all at once fully formed. He finds it difficult to alter such pictures, in fact, and concludes that it's better or more right to alter the story to fit the pictures instead. Tolkien similarly expects that the work will not always obey his designs for it. It seems to write itself as if the truth finally appears after his imperfect sketches. He says he no longer invents, but instead waits until he seems to know what really happened. This sort of independent development is a large impetus for his conclusion that parts of the story seem revealed through him rather than by him. He deliberately chose to work with archetypal motifs and sometimes characters intrude out of narrative necessity. Uh, But he describes the full characterization of Aragorn and tones of of awe as a revelation. He admits that he neither invented nor even desired the character of Faramir, though Frodo later tells Faramir that their meeting was the fulfillment of Elrond's foretelling of strange help on the road, a passage written many years before. 
Tolkien even uh, often singles out the Ents as a particular example of an unexpected addition. He can at the same time comment that he likes Ents because they seem to be totally independent from him, and then immediately speculate on their possible source in a mixture of his own interests, desires, and impulses. So, like, right there is just an example of Tolkien's writing, and he's sometimes surprised by his own literature. I think it was the spot where um, Gandalf, like, doesn't show up uh, in Lord of the Rings when they're waiting for him. He's supposed to show up a certain time, and he doesn't. If I remember right, Tolkien wrote about that like, I was just as surprised as everybody else, <laughs> which seems like a super weird thing to say about your own work until you recognize that, um, you know, if you're writing it alongside the Holy Spirit and allowing God to kind of influence what you're doing, there would be surprises like that. Um, in fact, Lord of the Rings um, started kind of out of the blue for Tolkien. He wrote down 10 words. He was a he was a professor, and while he was grading student exams, he wrote down these 10 words with no meaning behind them. He just wrote, in a hole in the ground, there lived a hobbit. We don't know why. <laughs> he says uh, that he believed since then that his work had been inspired in some sense, like that there, he looks back at the ways in which he wrote it and the things that came together. Like it, it felt like there was more to it than than just himself. I think one of the weirdest stories that they have, um, and one of the Numenor myths, there's a story of like a coming tidal wave, uh, like this great wave that's coming over green fields, uh, and he. Um, he wrote that because he had a recurring dream of a great wave. And after he wrote it, uh, the dream seems to have gone away at that point. Um, and then his son, his son revealed uh, later that he had the same dream and neither of them had ever talked about it to each other. So like, there's something strange and supernatural, really, in, in ways like that. Even some of the languages that Tolkien invented, like there were some words that seemed to not be interesting to him, like it didn't belong in the kind of language he was creating, and uh, um, he, he didn't want to have anything to do with it because he didn't really like it, but he started using it a little bit, even though it was outside of his language. Uh, but he couldn't like control or alter it. Um, or wait, uh, they did not fit his private hobby language, but instead began to control and alter it such that the language became more and more a collection of real words and less his own invention. And he does have some other writings too, uh, where he's like, oh, those are lessons. Like I didn't feel as much inspiration behind them. Those were just kind of me writing. So he's able to distinguish the difference too, when he feels like he's writing into something and when he's not. And maybe you've had that experience when you're reading Lord of the Rings, just like I've had with Narnia. There are moments, especially for me with Gandalf, where um, Gandalf says something or does something, and it just like hits me hard and feels, I don't know, inspired in a sense, like there's something more to it. And again, I want to be careful. I'm not trying to say it's the Bible, right? These are not the same kind of literature. 
but these are Christian artists trying to add add something spiritually meaningful to what they're doing. It makes sense that God would would be in that. In fact, I want to be careful with my own words here because none of my writing is you know monumentous or anything. But I've had maybe a few times where I have had similar experiences myself in a sense. Um, that just in the same way, sometimes it feels like the, I'm soaring on the wings of the Holy Spirit while I'm preaching. There are times where I'm writing, where hours go by, and I don't notice. I don't stop to have a meal. It's just the day started, the day ended, and I've written a ton. And it's just because all these thoughts were just soaring through. More interestingly, it's all the Bible verses that come to mind when I'm writing. I cannot believe when I'm doing any kind of writing, the amount of Bible verses that just pour out into the writing I'm doing, like that to me has always felt as though God is infusing it because I don't think of myself as having memorized as much as I'm able to, to put out. Um, in fact, this morning I was praying about a situation that I was just really struggling through this morning and as I was praying, like in a kind of empty moment, something just appeared in my mind, um, just like three words that immediately triggered a whole Bible passage that I hadn't thought about in forever, and that Bible passage spoke directly to my situation, um, that every good thing, uh, every good gift comes down from the Father of, of Lights. Um, and I sent that to a friend, and I didn't even realize the full weight of it. I'm like, I don't know. I just feel like this is a word for me about being a gift. And they reminded me of a prophetic word that God had given them uh, about me being a gift in their life that I had forgotten about. I was like, well, okay. So that word was legitimate. Like that was the Holy Spirit just prodding something in, into my mind in that moment. Um and so God likes to work in those ways. When I wrote my book about aliens, as weird as a subject as that was, and as much as I thought I was going to get fired <laughs> for writing about aliens, I didn't want to be that crazy guy, um, I wrote that based on a dream. I had a dream that I wrote a whole book on aliens um, and the possibility of it in light of, of the Christian faith. I woke up. I wrote down on a notes app all that I could remember and started piecing together the gaps of how I would write that book. I wrote it in the next month, and I was huge into science at that time, huge into science. I haven't cared about science my whole life. I kind of despised it. Like, it just felt like busy work, and I had no interest. But for like a year straight, like I went to a Neil deGrasse Tyson uh um, speaking engagement for my birthday in Detroit. Who does that? Like that, I just was so excited for science in that time. So I had this dream about aliens and Christianity, wrote down the ideas behind the book from the dream, wrote it in a month. And since that day, I don't think I have listened to any podcast on science. I have not cared to research science. It was like an emptying of myself in that phase, just as though it had served its purpose in my particular life as to what I needed to do, set me up to be able to speak into the topics of Christianity and science um, down the road, 
as well as anyone who has interest in speculating on Christianity and topic of aliens and things like that. And then it was just done. I'm not saying that book's inspired. I'm just like it felt the way in which it was written had a certain direction of or impulse of the Holy Spirit to to write it. And likewise, I, I've written one fiction book. Um, the amount of Bible references in that are pretty extreme. If I was to actually write down every illusion I'm making, there's a there's a ton. And even now, like I remember the major moments in that book that I wrote, but I don't know. I think if I reread that book right now, it would surprise me some of the things that I put into it because it's been a while since I've looked at it. And that that book was um, there wasn't any dreams behind it. Not really any direction necessarily. Not in the same extent that Lewis or Tolkien had, but it was just kind of like sitting down and Bible passages would come to mind and I'd try to find a allegorical fictional way to infuse them. And to the point that sometimes it just kind of felt like the story was taking on a life of itself. Um, and maybe that sounds weird when we're talking about writing, but it doesn't sound weird to us when we're talking about art, which is what writing is, right? We've probably all come across some kind of Christian art that felt prophetic or provoking um, that just really felt like, wow, the Holy Spirit speaks to me through this piece of art uh, and must have really kind of like influenced the painter or graphic designer in some way to do this. That's similar to what I'm, I'm communicating with Lewis and Tolkien and things like that, where it seems that there's these supernatural aspects behind it, even though it all comes together um, in a really kind of co-labor effort with God in a beautiful kind of way. Okay, so there you go. I know I just started talking and then didn't stop, but your thoughts. Have you read anything? Maybe it's from them, maybe it's from someone else, but the whole thing just takes on a life of its own. Maybe you've written something and it just felt like an outpouring that Holy Spirit was just kind of like giving it out or maybe a dream or something else is motivated. Just curious, what kind of thoughts you have before we wrap up? Well, you know, uh, a couple of couple of different things I want to hit on. Um, number one, uh, you know, I, I think inspiration can hit in many different ways for many different people. Um, I don't even think it necessarily has to um, come from like a Christian artist or a Christian writer or anything. I think that there's a lot of ways that uh, we can be inspired. Uh, for yourself you know you you liken it to when you're writing and sometimes it just feels like you're just overcoming these thoughts just just flood yourself uh other times you know people with music maybe it's a certain chord or something or just the way the music flows that brings back uh certain memories to the mind and reminds you of certain events and people and then that can correlate to maybe uh how you grew up, maybe something that happened in the church, maybe a moment that you had that just kind of just kind of hits you and takes you back there. Um, it can also inspire, you know, how if you write music, how to write it, how maybe, you know, something like that would would uh, is very inspirational to you. And it's something that maybe you would even want to incorporate um, into stuff that you do in the future. Uh, you know, um, 
I think that you can find inspiration in a lot of things, um, be it art that you look at at a museum, anything that's an artful piece. I think that it can it can draw that inspiration and that beauty and just remind you of of what God has created, what he has formed for us. You know, I, I'll give an example. You know, we're here at Nerd Church, and I remember the first time I played um, – uh, uh, oh goodness, I can't even think of it. Um, <laughs> it it was the sucker punch game about the samurai, you know, uh, Jin Sakai, and you know you're you're just watching it and you're climbing this mountaintop and the sun is slowly going down and it's just a sea of yellow and orange that that floats across the field and you're just sitting there and you're just just looking at it, just pausing it and looking at it and just seeing the the beauty of the way it's designed. And you just think, you know, the the inspiration there. And it just, you know, it reminded me of, of look at all the natural beauty we have around us. You know, look at what God has created. Look at the, look at the world outside and just in these quiet moments, how we really can sense him and everything. And so, you know, you can find inspiration and and be reminded of the Lord in many, many different ways. And just like you were talking with, with preaching, I've experienced that myself, you know, generally when I have a speaking engagement or something like that, it's, um, you know, certain verses come to mind that I pray about. Um, I do a general outline. I have a couple of, of talking points that I want to hit. But really, it's just whatever comes, that's what comes. And like you said, many times it's um, just feels like things just start to flow in a, in a way that maybe you don't expect or wasn't um, necessarily hoping it would. But it just seemed to be right for that moment, for that day. Um, and, you know, that is, you know, that is, again, the... I, I think uh, the Holy Spirit pressing upon us in in that in those moments. Um, but on the other hand, I also want to say, you know, to me, when it comes to the scripture, and this is something that I want to, uh, again, go back to when you first started speaking, um, with scripture itself, uh, I, you know, there are certain things that when you're talking on it and preaching on it and so forth, that you do kind of have to fill in gaps or maybe... Um, give maybe come up with an example to make it more relatable at, at times and stuff like that, you know, and that's okay. Uh, we need to be able to do that. God gives us the freedom to do that. But we also have to be careful to understand that what is in the Bible. And this is the way I've always looked at. It. I don't think, you know, God like possessed anybody and had them write stuff down and it got thrown into the Bible. No, but I do think that, you know, and I will always believe this again, personal belief. It can be different for other people, but I believe that, that the scripture that is in our Bibles is ordained by God. I believe that it is what he wants us to have. I think that anything, um, uh, you know, to be added or taken away from that. No, um, the Bible is as it was meant to be. Um, and it is for us as people, and it exact it contains exactly what we need to hear to follow him and to live an honorable 
godly existence. Um, you know, so I, I, I do, you know, cautionarily, you know, say, yes, you know, God does give us that freedom to maybe expand on stories or, or, you know, give an example, but we have to be careful not to try to overwrite what is written, if that makes sense. Um, yeah, but yeah, sorry, go ahead. You know, and so, and so that, that would just be like, that's just what I wanted to say about that first part is, you know, again, I understand completely what you're saying. I've experienced that many times myself, but again, it's about expanding what is written or, or creating it in a way that maybe it's more understandable without adding to or taking away from what scripture has said, because that is ordained by God. I will always believe that that is ordained. That is exactly what we are to have in our lives to follow him and so going you know taking it too far beyond that we have to caution ourselves on so i hope that all makes sense yeah i mean as a infallibleist i believe the same thing scriptures are ordained by god given to us and they're the one like authoritative primary uh writings for for us as a church and if we find other kinds of things that either claim to be inspired or even aren't inspired that don't match it in teaching, like the Bible wins, you know, that's the one that's in charge. To understand the Bible well, we not only need to fill in gaps with creative imagination sometimes because we weren't there at the audience that's been written, but cultural, archaeological, historical research also helps us bring the whole thing to light. Um but uh, that's the kind of filling gaps we do. We don't discredit Scripture. You know, we compare it with its entire self because there are occasionally contradictory-sounding messages communicated by Scripture. So um, just because one person can cherry-pick one part doesn't mean someone can't cherry-pick the other. We've got to find the balance to make it all make sense. Uh, but, yeah, that's that's the primary thing. And that, that was what um, Lewis... or. Tolkien was especially trying to do with his own writing was um, not write scripture um, or write anything biblical. What he was trying to do was take, or what happened naturally, I should say, was the world of the Bible infused the theology of the world that he was creating. So even though he was making something different, um, the theology of who God is was supposed to kind of infuse the inventive kind of thinking that that he was creating. Um, how would God act if this were the situation, and how might the theology infuse itself into there? And so that's that I think is helpful. And part of what makes Narnia and Middle Earth kind of stand out is that they have this kind of theological backing that provoke us to think. Also, you mentioned music. Uh, music is a big one that I think you find the flow in and that the Holy Spirit um, just kind of can lead. There have been many times where I've been making up a song that just felt too smart for me by the time it was over, but I also knew that I was in control of it, kind of like the give and take, the co-laboring of me and God working together. Um, or poetry. Um, when you look at the prophets, they were poets, they were artists, they did skits to get people's attention and provoke them. So they told parables, they were storytellers with inspired stories that made people listen. Jesus, when he taught, he told stories, and they weren't just normal stories, they were inspired. So 
again, more examples of the Spirit kind of leading our ability to tell a good story. Uh, anybody else? Briefly, um, I ran into a lot of the same kind of stuff, um, but instead of visions, for me, it was more as the over the decades that I've been working with Allies of Majesty, um, there's been, a, I'll just use a couple to make it quick. Uh, one was just even getting started on it. Like uh, if you've, you may or may not remember me having said um, in a different time that like when I was really young, like I forget exactly when it was, but back when the D and D cartoon was on um, Saturday morning, I was like, thought of this, like, well, why don't I, it'd be better to do, you know, not better, be cool if we could do a, um, you know, a game that was based on like, instead of the magic and all that kind of stuff, what if we could, you know, capture the, uh, magical feel of the, you know, mythological feel of the Bible, you know, and I was like making my mom read revelation to me back then and all that kind of stuff. But anyway, uh, but I can only think of warriors and messengers like these martial type classes, like Gabriel, Michael, you know, that's all I could think of. And I was like, yeah, it'd be boring. And I just let it go. And then I'm holding my first child, my son, you know, shortly after he had been uh, born, not like right after, but like he was, you know, only a couple of months old or so. And it just hit me like, boom, these other two classes. And it was not a thought of my own, you know, and the minute I thought of the one of, you know, are, are they not all ministering spirits? You know, that, that, you know, basically, you know, that, that one with the ministering spirits and then the minstrels as well. And those kind of filled in and rounded out the classes and made it interesting enough that I proceeded. And that was the inspiration I needed to just run with it. Well, once I had those four, it was later on with an artist that I was working with and then realizing, oh, what about these four faces in the Bible on like the cherubim and Ezekiel and then in the independent creatures in Revelation, you know, and it all in the imagery I had, there was one that fit perfectly with each of them. And it, it was like kind of like a confirmation, like, hey, there's some stuff going on here. And then um, more recently with the main bad guys, um, I, I had you know, of course, there's got to be a dragon, right? You know, and the great red dragon and all this. And then I had what I called an oppressor, which is like, you know, this tyrannical, like more so just saps your hope and, and your ability to think you could overcome this oppression. And that was what I had, those two. And then later on, I was like, you know what? There, there, there ought to be a third. I didn't like, it just hit me. Like I was like, you know, over time, like years later, it's like there really should be a third in here. And I started looking at the lion imagery, how the devil prowls around like a lion, you know, seeking whom he may devour, and all this stuff with lion imagery. And I'm like, not the good kind, like the word, but let's look at the bad kind. And I was like, okay. So I added that in. But then, you know, after like studying some of the stuff, I really felt like oppressor needed to kind of shift over to behemoth. Then I had the dragon kind of taking on this Leviathan stuff. And then I was like, you know, it just, as I was trying to write the art brief for the lion, I said, I don't know. I feel like it ought to have like eagle's wings or something. And then like, I start finding out about Ziz and the whole idea with like, it's literally a griffin like being with this lion like creature with eagle wings, you know, like the way it added up and it, and, and the fact that I even added that third one, that was just like, I feel like, and there's, I, I mean, I'm, you know, I'm stopping at those two, but that's just a couple of so many things that as I just prayed and developed and was just open and listening, I feel like God without 
me even finding it. He didn't just guide me to some Wikipedia or some reference book that I could find this stuff. And then I added it. It was like, I felt like I should add something like this. I felt like I should grow this direction. And then the confirmation's given. Then I find the facts of it. You know what I mean? Anyway. Yeah. No, that's exactly what I'm talking about. Just this infusion of ideas where, and that's, that's why I think so many times we miss the supernatural is like this morning, I mentioned that the Bible verse came to my head that good gifts come from our father in heaven. I could absolutely have been like, well, that was just a random thought for me about a Bible verse, but I haven't heard that Bible verse in so long contextually it was exactly what i needed this morning it was exactly what i had to tell the other person who then reminded me of what that actually meant in the fullness like but for me that was nothing more than a thought that was it um and that's where the christian needs to i think be more adamant to realize like not all of our thoughts are our own there's three sources they come from us demons and god um and uh, we need to be able to discern the difference between all of them. But yeah, Anthony's got a beautiful example right there of like, he's working on a game. It's art. God cares about play and fun and learning this kind of stuff. And and it comes as no shock that as he's working on it, these things come along, especially given the way that you say that they came along. I'm holding my newborn, and suddenly I think of two classes for, <laughs> you know, like this seems so disconnected from what you would even suspect to be thinking at that time. Um, and that's part of the discernment of sometimes realizing when thoughts are not your own. Um, I was taking a shower this week, and... I heard just a random thought in my head, tertiary issues. <laughs> Which, what does that even exactly mean again? I know I've heard that word before, but tertiary? And that, for me, was just a moment to say, that feels foreign to me, and I need to look into that. And sure enough, what I was thinking of at the time, the thought tertiary issues fit very well with, as God saying, that's a tertiary issue. I've got some other things you need to focus on. Um and so, yeah, inspiration comes, and uh, um, if you're an artist, you will, I think, find these moments where it just infuses your art. But we're all artists in some way, because we're built by a creator, and therefore we like to create. We are sub-creators, is the way that Tolkien would say it. And therefore, um, when you are creating, you will find that stuff come about in some way. The very first... Um, spiritual gift in the Bible. Anybody know what it was? Craftsmanship. Not just anybody could build the uh, um, tabernacle. God had to specifically inspire some human beings with his Holy Spirit to go and build the artistic designs and functionary equipment that belonged in the tabernacle. So... There you go. There's an example. And that person was God's Ruach and his Chokhmah. Yeah. And his spirit is his, his inspiring spirit and his technical knowledge. But it says it accredited both of those to God. Yeah. yeah. 
And it was an important reason for it to be inspired, too, is because God is the one who made Eden. And when you pay attention to Tabernacle, the way that it's mentioned that it was built, it's echoing Eden. Like, God's the creator of Eden. So if humans are going to build the new Eden that he's going to reside in, his spirit, of course, is going to have to inspire those people to bring it about. That's just a good way to think of ministry in general. God... God is the one who installs the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is the king there. If you want to be able to bring about his kingdom, if you want to grow his fruit, you need the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And that's a word the church needs to hear, because have you seen the church try to build it by their own efforts? That's where you get the knockoff, crappy, cheesy versions of ministry and art and all this stuff that makes you want to gag. Yeah, I don't know if I shared this but this is an example that, or an illustration that people seem to relate to. So I'll share it and I'm sorry if I'm double sharing on it. But um, I I felt that very same way when I was in youth ministry and I was like, definitely, I just want to do what God is doing. I always thought of that scripture, you know, where Jesus is saying, I only do what I see the father doing, you know, like he's, I'm not don't do, do anything of my own. Like I'm not doing my thing. I'm asking, like finding out where what are what are you doing, God, and how do I fit into it? You know, and so that's kind of how I wanted to do it. And I felt like I was in these Bible studies and stuff like that with these like or, or you know prayer groups, support groups, whatever, with like multiple senior pastors and these other people, and I and I just saw so many of them trying to in, in the church in general build something for God and not with God or build God's thing that he's including you in, you know, and, and it, it just made me think of this illustration, which is like, you know, my kid bringing me art uh, that they drew, like my little child, not like a, you know, accomplished teenager or something, but like, you know, my little child that brings me something and it's like, that's sweet, but I'm going to put it on the fridge for a day. And as far as art value goes, that's about what it's worth. Be on the fridge for a day because I love you. And then in the trash when you have another picture coming or something else, you know, because as a, as art itself, it's not really valuable. The, re- the only real value is its expression of you're, you're trying to please me or, or, you know, but instead, what if instead my child came to me and let's say I actually was an artist or had some skill and said, you know, what are you doing, daddy? And it's like, well, let me show you what I'm doing. And I take them up on my lap and I take my hand, take their hand in mind. And I'm, well, right now I'm shading. See this picture here? And I'm, and I'm taking their hand and I'm doing the shading with them. And I'm, I'm, you know, making this art and they're partaking in it. And the end result is beautiful and wonderful. And I got to be, I being the child, got to be a part of it instead of me bringing this thing that I tried to build on my own and say, here, God, are you happy? You know, and instead, like, he's just as happy, but the world is more blessed with the with the final result. I learned a lot by working with this master and, you know, somebody with much more skill than myself, and I still got to produce something. We still, he's, God is still just as happy or pro- you know, probably more happy than if I had just tried something away from him on my own and brought it to him and said, "Are you happy?" You know. Anyway. Yeah, I think a good uh, remembrance on that topic too is uh, Pentecost. After Jesus ascends into heaven, he tells them, "Like, don't go do ministry 
until you've received the Holy Spirit. Go wait. Once you get power from on high, then go out of the city and do your thing. Uh, that that could kind of go into that Can analogy, I... you know, of God just saying, like, wait until I infuse you as the master to kind of give you direction as to where you're going from there. Yeah, Chris? Can, I just want to interject one thing. As, as you both were talking, something just kind of uh, just just came to me, just came over me. And I think that when we're talking about inspiration stuff, I don't know why this just hit me, but it, it reminded me of, you know, we've just had Christmas. We just celebrate the birth of, of our savior on that day. That is, um, you know, in remembrance on Saturday, uh, I called my family on the phone as we couldn't get together due to weather concerns and stuff. And um, just as my dad had done every year for us growing up, I read the Christmas story to the family and we prayed together and stuff. And it just reminded me again, as you were talking, that the people were looking for a king. They were looking for a mighty warrior that would come in, who would destroy, who would overrun, who would command and instead they got a son of a carpenter what is this this is not what we were promised this is not what we were looking forward to you know and it was you could probably sense the disappointment in those moments yet i think that's the same thing that happens to us sometimes with inspiration or when we're looking for God, um, when we're asking for something or uh, we're expecting something, we, we oftentimes expect these big moments where we're looking for these constant big moments. But I just want to encourage each of us to look for the small things for our inspiration. Maybe it's just, maybe it's just you're driving, driving around and you just, Pull over for a minute and just take a look at the sky. Take a look at, at the beauty that's around you. Or, I don't know, stop and, and really listen to the song you're listening to. Stop and just really dive into something that you're reading or curious about reading. Maybe take that plunge if, if you're not sure. What the heck? Give it a shot. Who knows? But I think we need to all... Remember, it's the small things. When God does something big, it's awesome. But I want to make sure that I try. And I, I, and again, this is just for myself, but I just want to encourage each of us to maybe in the coming year find those inspiring moments in, in the small things that maybe we don't really look at all too often and just see where it takes us. See where it takes you. See where your mind goes where your memory goes just take those small moments it doesn't even have to be more than 30 seconds a day but you know when when we get those big moments those are awesome but man those small moments where god can just touch your heart touch your mind touch your soul touch you emotionally and mentally and just remind you that he is still there that he is still God, and that no matter what comes, no matter what happens, 
he is still in control. And God has always asked me a question my whole life. Whenever I've started to have my doubts, he's always come to me and he says, do you still trust me? And that is sometimes the hardest question that I have to answer because I have to really examine myself and I have to go, am I really still trusting you, Lord? And the answer always still comes back, yes. But, man, just think of those small moments. Take those moments and just realize how awesome of a God we serve. Find those inspiring moments. Yeah, I think with that, we'll uh, kind of pray into that note and wrap it up. So, Jesus, we come before you, um, and there's not one person in here who hasn't been inspired by you at some point, hasn't felt your hand upon them or heard your thoughts. The difficulty for many of us is nobody teaches us how to discern what's you and what's not. So sometimes we talk with you without noticing it, Sometimes you nudge us without us feeling that it was a nudge. Um, and when it all comes together later, we look back and be like, oh, God was behind that. Um, God, I think of a song that went through my head on Saturday. I had no idea whether that song was in my head. And then I think of the message that I preached on Sunday, which was not a message I, I had planned on really going into, and how it connected back to that song for me to stop and say, oh, that was a small moment a little inspirational moment where the Holy Spirit was trying to put something on my heart. And if I had been even more intentional to listen, uh, it would have grown in me even more on Saturday rather than be looked at in hindsight and be put together. Let us embrace those small moments and the big moments and everything in between. Uh, We thank you that you inspire. We thank you that you speak to us. We thank you that none of us are so special that we can't hear you or that we've never heard you. Um, would you amplify your voice in our lives? And just a word that you spoke over 1208 over this past year, we extended it over Nerd Church as well, that if we, uh, that we should take time to repent and make space for new spiritual gifts. So here we are. We repent and we uh, give our hearts to you and ask for the additional form of inspiration, whatever way it may take to to grow in our lives in this time out of genuine repentance. In Jesus' name, amen.